Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables, which includes some of the top players from around the world. Our objective is very simple. We want to be able to educate, entertain and energize the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through. Hope you enjoy our next podcast. Welcome to episode 28 of Control the Controllables. Today we have a very special guest, a Sam Qureshi. A Sam has been as high as number eight in the world. He's made a final of US Open men's doubles and mixed doubles back in 2010. He's still in the top 50 in the world. Um, myself and Sam go back a long time. We first met in Kuala Lumpur back in 1995. And I've watched and admired him from afar as he's not only gone on to achieve some amazing things on the tennis court, uh, but also he has become a big global star in terms of how he's used his platform to, to bring the best out of humanity. Uh, during these current times, he's got together with Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Maria Sharapova, Rafael Nadal, Saudi Omani, a Liverpool player, and many different stars to raise money. And he's personally handing out food, bringing that, that whole thing together in his home country in Pakistan. He talks about all of these things. He talks about his journey into tennis, starting as a 12, 13-year-old. And he talks about his Grand Slam experiences. But he also talks about how he's so successfully used his platform to do many other things. Watch out for the story where you realise that actually Sam is like the David Beckham of Pakistan. Uh, I experienced that personally and we talk about that in the podcast as well. Um, it's great. It's fantastic. I've not edited any of it. I've gone through it all and I didn't believe anything needed to be edited out. He speaks very well. I'm sure you guys are going to love it. Over to Assam Qureshi. Assam Qureshi, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much, Danny. We're happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great. A little introduction into Assam. Assam, even though he's known as a doubles player, was 125 in the world in singles back in 2007. A career high of number eight in the world, having won 18 ATP titles including a couple of biggies in Paris and Miami, Master Series 1000. He's currently 50 in the world. And back in 2010, he made the finals of the men's and mixed doubles in the US Open. Um, a former top 20 in the world junior. And probably the biggest thing for me, Sam, is how you've then used the platform to become such a star in Pakistan, but then how you've used that to help many great causes. And, and that's how we, I guess I want to start off, really. We, we spoke six weeks ago. People won't know this. We recorded this podcast six weeks ago. Um, Zoom, as much as I've loved Zoom, it's become like the Ryanair of video conferencing. 
<laughs> it hasn't processed, so Sam's kindly come back on the show. So how, how's things in Pakistan right now? It seems like you're doing a lot of great things. Uh, th thanks, Danny, man. Thank you for the lovely introduction and a very kind introduction. And it's great to see you again. Uh, things uh, are getting actually a little bit serious, man. Uh, six weeks ago when I started, uh, when we had our last conversation, uh, I thought Pakistan was in an okay position, though we were struggling a lot with the mostly because of the hunger situation in Pakistan. Uh, a lot of people lost their job because of the lockdown. And uh, a lot of the, we have a lot of daily wages in Pakistan who uh, live their lives on daily basis. They earn money every day uh, yeah. from their profession and they feed their families. And during the lockdown, a lot of these people, pretty much 80% of these people were out of uh, work. And uh, I think there was more concern from hunger than actually coronavirus itself. Yeah. And um, by the grace of Almighty, I've been able to support uh, 2,500 families during the past two months through my foundation, Stop or Start Tennis. And with the help of another organization called RISC, uh, we managed to overall support 15,000 families across Pakistan. Wow. Uh, the first month uh, when I spoke to you, I think a uh, month and a half ago, I was around 500 to 1,000 families, I think. But uh, from there, we've been able to take it uh, nationwide. Uh, my uh, first month distribution was only in my city, or, uh, mostly around my area in Punjab. But then the next month, uh, we kind of excluded it and uh, tried to go nationwide. And uh, doing my level best to generate as many funds as possible. And uh, during this time also, I started my another initiative called Stars Against Hunger Movement where I mobilized a lot of international tennis players and uh, superstars, I would say, and our national icons and collecting the signed memorabilia and using them to auction them. And all the proceeds will go to distributing Russian bags uh, among the needy and the poor and the daily wagers. Right now, our cases, the Corona cases have uh, gone up big time in the last few weeks. And our numbers are actually more than Spain, Italy and New York itself. Wow. So, it's a pretty scary situation right now in Pakistan. And I have a feeling uh, we're going to have another lockdown very soon because the way the cases are increasing, it's a very scary situation. In Italy, Spain, or New York, they still have a lot of medical staff and hospitals uh, yeah. where they can really take care of uh, these patients. But in Pakistan, I think we're going to struggle big time. So just trying to raise as many funds as possible for that. If in case we go for another lockdown, it's going to be a very scary situation. It's it's unbelievable, Sam, what you what you do. I mean, I've I've watched, and we've been good friends for a long time, but I've watched in awe of you over the last few years, you know, and how you've how you've used your platform. And I want to get into that in the podcast as well. But obviously, the last few weeks, you know, being able to leverage your relationships within the in the world of sport. Um, and it seems like there's been some big, you mentioned a couple of big stars there, but Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, man, it's been a very overwhelming response from all these athletes and their agents and themselves as well. Uh, I'm super, super thankful to each and every one of them. I reached out to them, uh, letting them know what the situation in Pakistan is. And this coronavirus obviously is hitting every single country in this world. And every single country has been affected by the, it as well. But I think uh, the most important thing right now is uh, passion for humanity and compassion. Yeah. I think that's the only way we can uh, get through this pandemic. And I think everybody realizes it, uh, realizes that, uh, yeah, the whole world is being affected. And uh, I reached out to Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Maria Sharapova, Stefano Sitipas, 
Daniel Medvedev, uh, Grigor Dimitrov, Sanya Mirza. So every single tennis player I went out to, uh, they basically had an overwhelming response. I have uh, a sure signed memorabilia uh, from Roger Federer, his shoes, signed shoes and shirt that he used during 2016 Wimbledon. I have a signed shirt from Rafa that he used uh, in 2018 French Open. A signed shirt from Novak that he wore during 2011 Australian Open that he won. And uh, signed rackets from Medvedev, Sitipas, Grigor Dimitrov, and uh, Sanya Mirza. And uh, two pair of shoes from uh, Maria Sharapova. And I have a few other athletes as well. Uh, Cafu, the Brazilian superstar from uh, football. Uh, he just uh, sent his uh, signed shirt uh, for this cause as well. And uh, we have another British Pakistani boxer, Amir Khan. I'm not sure if you know him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's half British, half Pakistani, obviously. So uh, he's uh, sending his signed gloves to me as well. And uh, just recently, actually two days ago, I'm, I'm going to be receiving this shirt, which maybe you'll be interested in as well. Uh, Sadio Mane signed shirt uh, from Liverpool. Uh, the match that he wore this shirt uh, against Crystal Palace last year. So I'll be getting that as well. So uh, yeah, been great response from all these athletes and our... Uh, some uh, companies have already uh, bid for these uh, signed memorabilia already. Roger Federer shoes have been bought for $20,000 uh, from a shoe company here in Pakistan. And uh, thanks to Soto Tennis in Spain and you, uh, who have uh, bidded for Rafa Nadal's shirt for 10,000 euros as well. And all these proceeds uh, will be going to distribution ration bags uh, among the poor and the needy men. So I can't thank you guys enough uh, for all your support and trust and uh, basically belief in me. No, it's, a, it's amazing, Asa. It's amazing what you're doing. And just b before we move on to, to, I suppose, your tennis life, um, how, how do people who, who maybe can't afford to be paying out quite so much for such, such amazing gifts, how, how can people in the tennis world give a little through this cause? Is there, is there a website? Is there a place that people can go yeah, to? Bro, uh, uh, all the information is on my Instagram page, Facebook page, and Twitter account as well. Uh, the bank details are there. And uh, they can uh, obviously uh, donate the money straight to my charity. And right now, everything that I'm getting from all over the world, uh, I'm using it to distribute as many ration bags as possible among the needy and the poor. And uh, so far, by the grace of Allah, people are donating money as well who can't bid for these items. Yeah. And uh, like I said, uh, I'm like overwhelmed by this response that people are giving from all over the world and can't be more uh, thankful to these people. Uh, I think tennis, sometimes we athletes, uh, answer to your previous question was that why I'm doing this and uh, what made me uh, realize all these things is a lot of times as athlete, we... I think we start, we become very selfish. We focus everything on our results. Everything is about us. The whole world revolves around us, our schedule, our matches. And uh, we kind of get locked down uh, in that situation. And uh, I was reading somewhere, which was a very nice quote by actually uh, uh, one of uh, the players who used to play and was kind of my idol in Asian tennis, uh, Matsuuka, Shuzo Matsuuka. Yeah. And uh, he wrote in his uh, article somewhere that there are three kinds of happiness that we receive during uh, our lifetime. The one kind of happiness is that we receive from somebody. Yeah. The second kind of happiness is what we have and what we possess. And the third is what we give yeah. after doing an act of kindness for somebody. 
And uh, for me also, I feel like the feeling that I get from uh, doing an act of kindness for somebody, uh, I think the kind of happiness I receive while doing that is more than any trophy and any uh, title I ever won. And I think that's what motivated me. And uh, you see likes of Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, all of them have their foundations. They use tennis as a platform to help millions uh, out all over the world. So I've realized, uh, not that I'm comparing myself with them, but uh, whatever I can do in my capacity and use tennis platform to help as many people as possible, that's what I'm trying to do right now as well. And uh, I think it's our obligation, I feel, and a duty as well, not just uh, as a tennis player, uh, but actually more, more of as a human being. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like God has created human beings to help other human beings. Yeah. Uh, he's helping us in a bigger way anyway, but he has created us for each other to help each other out uh, in times of need. And that's what I'm trying to do and trying to play my part in whichever way I can. It's amazing. And for those that are listening that do want to help, please go over to uh, Sam's social media pages. You know, have a look. Any, any little bit of help will go a long, long way. You know, this man is he's delivering them himself. I've been watching, like I say, in awe. You know, he's out there. He's, he's, he's not stopped the last few weeks. Um, and it's an, it's an amazing cause that we know is absolutely going to the right people. The, the next thing I want to... You're, you're incredibly humble, Sam. Uh, again, for those listening, and I have to share a little story. We were playing uh, doubles together in, uh, in Loughborough, I believe, in the national... My, a big shout out to Mike Dixon, if he's listening, for the National <laughs> Premier League doubles. And I, I, got, I got picked up by a taxi at the, at the station and I was on my way over to the, to the tennis centre and I was talking away to, to my taxi driver and he was from Pakistan. I think we were, maybe it was the Cricket World Cup or anyway, we were in, in quite a deep-rooted kind of cricket chat, which is probably quite normal in Pakistan, I would imagine. Yeah. And, and he said, where are you going? I said, I'm off to play tennis, da-da-da. I said, oh, actually, I'm playing with a guy from Pakistan. You know, and I said your name and he nearly crashed the car. You know, it was like, it was as if I'd just dropped that I was going to go and play, play tennis with the Queen. You know, so in, in terms of, you know, what you've done, and I guess this is almost starting about, starting at the end point, and we're about to go into the story of how you've got there. You know, but you, you really have, you know, made your name I mean, globally, but very much in Pakistan. And, and what's amazing about what you're doing is you're then using that audience for good, you know, and that's, you know, to, to be in that position. And I know it's been a big motivator for you, um, but don't be fooled that this guy isn't a big star. Yeah, um, that, that's for sure. In, 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 terms, in terms of your tennis then, how did this whole thing start? Pakistan, cricketing country, surely you're going to be a cricketer if you're going to go into sport. How did the tennis start? Yeah, man, uh, b before uh, tennis, obviously, I was big-time fan of cricket. I played cricket in my school and college uh, life. Uh, my mother, Nasheen Atisham, has been Pakistan number one for 10 years. And my maternal grandfather, Khwaja Tikharam, was all India num number one before partition, before 947. So yeah. tennis, I guess, was in my blood uh, from my maternal side. And I grew up watching my mom. I never saw my grandfather play. But uh, in my school days, I was jack of all trades, master of none. I was an outdoor person, an outdoor kid. I was involved in every single uh, activity in school, uh, whether it was uh, hockey, swimming, football, table tennis, squash, you name it. And I was part of uh, uh, those sports at, uh, in my school times. 
And I think that was the reason my mom actually got me into tennis, so just to see if I have any tennis genes or germs in me. And when I was 13 years old, uh, she took me to the tennis court and uh, I had a wooden racket, Spalding, and uh, just asked me to hit some balls. And coaches at that time, whoever were there, they were like, how long your kid has been playing? And she said, no, it's his first time ever uh, being on the tennis court. And there was like, no way, he's amazing. He's got so much talent, this and this. And I think uh, that what started everything. And my mom got a little bit overexcited also and cautious. And then she got me a coach. Yeah. And uh, luckily, uh, the first coach I had used to be an ex-Davis Cup player in Pakistan. Yeah. And uh, I got the basics right really good in the beginning. And I think uh, that really helped me to pick the sport very fast and very quickly. And the rest is history. And I'm right now here doing a podcast with Daniel Kiernan. 20 years later. So, yeah. That's how the whole thing began. But uh, because I think our paths crossed. I think the first time I saw you was in Malaysia, maybe. maybe Malaysia Futures, probably. No, I think ITF. Juniors. Juniors. Okay. In juniors, you and Naz, I'm sure. Ah, Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Kuala Lumpur. 100%. I understand. I think I played Naz in the first round and it was like, you were there with Sean Cole. So because yeah. there was the there was obviously the British connection there, you know, we 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 got talking. So that's that's amazing because that was you were good and you were good at what well, that was 16, 17 you were then, and you were already very good. So you got good fast. And I and I think that brings me on to a question I, I'd I'd love to ask as well is do you think people obsess with playing tennis too early? And secondly, do you think that almost by playing so many other sports, sending receiving skills, coordination, movement, you almost are playing tennis without playing tennis, if that makes sense. From an yeah, yeah. I think it helped me big time, man. I think uh, me being involved at my younger age in other sports definitely helped me with tennis also, with my footwork, uh, with my stamina, I think, uh, with my hand-eye coordination as well, even though I was playing cricket or hockey, but there also you need a lot of hand-eye coordination, yeah. uh, which I think helped me in tennis. And uh, swimming, and uh, I used to be a swimmer in my school. I was the best swimmer of my school for five years in a row. So I think all those lengths, uh, all the training that I did for swimming helped me in the stamina building in tennis as well. Yeah. And I think I have to give a lot of credit to my school as well, uh, which I studied in uh, till I was 16 years old, uh, which had all these uh, sports in it and had a sporting program as well. Uh, that helped me big time in tennis. And uh, I have to thank the International Tennis Federation because yeah. uh, when I was 17 and 18, I was sponsored by them. I traveled all over the world yeah. uh, under Sean Cole. That's where I met him for the very first time. Yeah. And that's where my relationship started with him as well. And uh, I think the experience I got from traveling and playing tournaments uh, all over the world helped me basically uh, improve my tennis in a big way. And I used to be very shy, man. I was a very disciplined kid when I was a young kid. Yeah. Uh, it was my first time I traveled abroad was when I was 16 years old. I was a shy guy. I was only focused on tennis, sleeping on time, waking up on time. Everything was about tennis, tennis, tennis. And uh, I think that also really helped me uh, to stay focused and do so well in a very short span of time, you know? Yeah. So how did, because that was one of my, one of my thoughts in my head. In Pakistan, what are the opportunities like for, for playing tennis? And then secondly, you mentioned that the ITF came in and sponsored you. How did that work as well? Bro, uh, 20 years ago, I think our uh, tennis level was much better than it is now. Sadly, I think we had more competition while I was in my juniors. 
uh, I had a lot of uh, people in Pakistan and our national level under 18 was really, really high. Okay. And if you remember Nasir also, Shirazi, okay. and there were other few juniors as well uh, who were on the ITF circuit. We had under 14, uh, number one and number two at that time in the world as well. And, uh, and then under 18, I was world number seven, Asia number one. And uh, so we had a few other top 100 guys in under 18 as well. So I think competition level was very, very high uh, at that time. Uh, and uh, my main goal at that time when I started was 13 to become under 14, number one nationally first. And then under 16, number one and 18. And the big thing at that time was uh, everybody wanted to go to college in America, get a scholarship, yeah. get your ranking high and do that. Uh, ITF definitely helped me out, and uh, if I would have not been, I think world number one, uh, world number seven, or Asia number one, uh, I would have definitely pursued uh, to go to college as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think at that time, Sean Cole, uh, who has been a very big influence in my life and career, also uh, had a talk with my dad, and, he, and he's like, I think uh, Sam has done so well in a very short span. I think instead of going to college. Uh, maybe you should ask him or you should pursue a career, a professional career out of tennis for him. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, I felt at that time was the right thing, man. I, yeah. like, uh, I don't really know how I was able to achieve so much in such a little time. Mm. And my first two years in professional tennis also, I got to 200 straight away in two years. When I was 20, I was uh, top 200 wow. uh, in the world in men's. And, uh, and when I was 22, I qualified for my first Wimbledon as well in doubles with Amir Haddad. So I, I also I also felt that tennis is meant for me. Mm. Like uh, uh, this is the platform I have to make my parents proud, to make my family and country proud. Yeah. And uh, I think God has given me a gift. And um, this is my uh, basically roadmap uh, to success and to make an identity for myself. But uh, then professional tennis got a little bit tougher because uh, I was not I feel like physically strong enough to compete. At a higher level, when it, you get to 150, you have to play a lot of ATP titles and uh, you're competing with the big boys and physical element uh, was there, at, uh, which I felt uh, uh, I was not ready for. I think uh, to 200 to 300 level, I was okay. But once it got to 150, 160, I struggled for like four, five, six years to compete with the top guys. Because uh, that was my thing. You kind of obviously started late, but pretty much had success, 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 almost probably felt easy, <laughs> you know, to, to a degree. Yeah, and I didn't really have sponsors at that time, but uh, my parents invested a lot of money in me. I think the reason they kept investing also was for the same reason, because I kept giving results. Yeah. And uh, for a Pakistani to qualify for Wimbledon after 40 years and uh, becoming world number eight, Asia number one, all these things, I became national champion when I was 18 years old, men's champion. And uh, so, yeah, one thing led to another and it motivated me also. It inspired me as well. And uh, for me, it was very important not to, to make sure that uh, the money, all my hard-earned money from my father and my mom, that I don't waste it, basically. Yeah. And uh, just try to avail it in the best way possible in any way I can. And how did you manage those disappointments when they started to come? Danny, that'd be so, t <laughs> so tough, man. I think uh, you have seen also so many times when we were in Uzbekistan as well oh. uh, and uh, conditions we were playing in, the hotels we were staying. And uh, yeah, you got to tough them out because I saw my dad toughing it out to uh, make hard enough money for me and for my family. So then being in those places, uh, I guess it's a little bit easier because uh, I know that uh, 
it's a harder money for my dad and I got to try to win. Uh, it's been tough. It was my main goal and my main ambition was to be recognized in my country as a tennis player. And uh, people know uh, squash players, people know hockey players, people know cricketer, uh, cricketers. Uh, but whatever I was doing, uh, I felt like uh, I was coming up short compared to all these athletes. Sure. But uh, my father encouraged me also. My mom is to just keep on going. Uh, I had my whole family support. I think without them, I would not have pursued tennis for such longer period. Yeah. And uh, after 15 odd years, when I made the finals of US Open in 2010, that was the first time I actually felt that every Pakistani knows me, really. Yeah. And that I've been uh, able to make a mark in world of tennis as well. But in Pakistan, people recognize me as a tennis player in Pakistan. And uh, when you talk about cricket in Pakistan, everybody knows Imran Khan, Wasim Akram, Makar, Yuna, Javed Yeah. Uh, when you talk about just squash, everybody talks about Jangir Khan. And we have some hockey legends, Shehbaz Senior, Hassan Sadar, when everybody talks about uh, hockey. And I just wanted to be associated. But when tennis comes in anyone's mind in Pakistan, people should know my name and I should come in the same category. And by the grace of Almighty, I've been able to do that. And I feel very proud. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I think it motivates me a little bit more. I have more responsibility to be a role model in my country, to be a door opener. And uh, basically, I don't see myself like Andy Murray's, like in England or Roger Federer from Switzerland. Uh, but uh, just trying to do a little bit the same way to motivate the kids here in Pakistan that uh, you can make a living and uh, can be a, make a profession out of tennis as well, in Pakistan as well. And that, and that purpose is so strong. And that is, I mean, the one thing that I've again seen from you playing against you, watching from afar, I've always supported you from afar the last few years. Your purpose and motivation is high, it's strong. Is there the danger, because I've also seen this with players that I've worked with, when they feel that they're almost carrying the country on their back, is there the danger that it goes the other way? And if so, how have you then dealt with that pressure? Danny, I would have to, have to definitely agree with you, but I think I did have a lot of pressure and I took a lot of pressure uh, till 2010. Uh, where I wanted to be recognized uh, as a tennis player in my country. In 2007, I qualified for Wimbledon in singles as well. Yeah. I won a round. I think I was the first Pakistani in 50 years to qualify for, for a Grand Slam. And the same year, I qualified for US Open as well. And uh, then in 2009, I ended up beating Roger Federer in doubles in Basel. And, yeah. uh, and I thought they were like big things to do in tennis and I would be recognized back home. Yeah. Uh, but that was not the case. And the pressure was always there, what to do and what I have to achieve uh, to be recognized. Uh, and that was the pressure I always took uh, for tennis, to promote tennis, uh, to, be, to become like an icon back home and to be, become like a role model and uh, to have the corporate sector get involved in tennis or in me and get some sponsorship so people can understand that there is a big career in tennis as well if you do well. Yeah. And I always took that pressure till 2010. But, uh, Making the finals in U.S. Open and the kind of reception, uh, reception I received when I came home, uh, it was a life-changing moment for me, I think for tennis as well. And it took a lot of pressure off me. I think uh, I was able to feel in a way uh, that I've been able to give a lot back to my family as well, to my parents as well, all the sacrifices they made for me and uh, the money they spent on me and the trust they had in me. Yeah. I was able to give that back. And uh, that actually definitely relaxed me. And I feel ever since 2010, 
I personally feel I'm much better tennis player than I was before 2010. Okay. And a lot has to do with me being relaxed, with me being stress-free. And uh, there is a different kind of pressure now, uh, which I feel like is a positive one. I feel like it's more responsibility and uh, which makes me, when I go act on a court in a different manner, like I did used to do before 2010. Yeah. And I think there is more respect among the peers also. Uh, there is more respect from the players as well. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, before definitely I had a lot of pressure on me. But since 2010, I personally feel I have less pressure uh, when I'm on the court. It's fascinating to hear. Because if you, when I look at it, we're the same age. Hard to believe the, the youthful look that you have still, Sam. Um, but yeah, we're the same age. I felt like I had a pretty decent length of tennis career but I stopped in 2005 you know wow. so, you know 15 years ago so you know how many players and it's it, I think it's a fascinating one for players to hear you felt this pressure and, 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 and because you kept going and you know you had some success but you kept going you kept pushing you kept working hard it was age 30 before you felt that you actually almost eased into into yeah. that you know, which is my first point, which I think is amazing. And I think it's, a, it's an important one for people to realize because I think a lot of people give up on things very early, you know, and it's, it happens a lot in tennis. My second thing is, add 10 more years, we're now in 2020, and you're still going strong, you know, you're still going far in slams, you're still, still in a position. What, what's your motivator now to keep putting yourself through the travel, the work, the, you know, all of those things? Bro, the motivation is the belief, I think, man. Uh, I think uh, belief and the faith in the system. I feel like everyone, we all have our own paths. Uh, we all have our own uh, destiny. Everyone makes their own destiny as well. And I really, really believe, to be honest, that uh, I still uh, have the game and the capacity and the mental capacity and belief uh, to win a Grand Slam. Uh, I've been very, very close a few times. I have made, uh, I think, six semifinals, two finals. Last year, I lost from a match point in uh, French Open mixed doubles as well in the semifinals. Yeah. And uh, constantly, I've been beating the top teams every year. Number one team in the world, number two, number three. Uh, this year also, uh, with Dominic Inglot, uh, I've beaten uh, three top ten teams as well. Yeah. So, it's just about putting uh, these matches together. And uh, that's the only motivation behind it right now uh, uh, about winning a slam. Uh, that's what motivates me to wake up, to do the training, to do all the hard work and uh, to focus on the diet plan and everything I have. And that's the inspiration I have. I feel like uh, uh, God has given us a gift. Obviously, that's life. And uh, then on top of that, he has given me or bestowed another gift on me to be a tennis player. And I feel like if, uh, and everyone has their own gifts, uh, you have the coaching gifts. By the grace of uh, Almighty, you are giving back to the community and to the people yeah. as well. I have all the respect for teachers, uh, for doctors, for tennis coaches. It's the same thing. You're working on making someone's life better yeah. and giving them a career, you know. And uh, that's a gift God has given to you. And yeah. for me, I feel if I'm not giving my best to this profession, day in day out uh, then i'm not being fair to god basically yeah, and yeah. Uh, because at the end of the day it's a gift and we should be able to yeah to thank him and the only way to thank him in the best way possible would be to be honest with our profession yeah and i still really feel i still have two three more years good in uh, good years in me and i just want to keep my level best whether it's off the court 
training or motivation and all and on the court as well. And uh, yeah, that's my driving force, man. Uh, about winning a slam uh, to finish again top 10 uh, yeah. to qualify for the London Masters. And I really feel and believe that I can do that. And that's what's only driving me to still keep on playing tennis. Well, you, you absolutely can. You know, there's, there's no doubt. You know, there's no doubt that you can. You've got the game. You've got the mentality. In, in terms of this year, 2020, does it feel like you've, I guess, the older we get, the more precious time becomes? Does it, does it feel as if you've kind of had a, had a bit of a year taking away from you? Uh, no, 100%. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed because uh, the year started really well. Uh, I thought with Dominic Inglot, uh, we actually started gelling and uh, we were really peaking at a really good time in February. We made finals in uh, France, Montpellier, then we won New York uh, Open and beat really top teams in both tournaments. And then I came to Davis Cup. I won my Davis Cup match in singles and doubles as well. Yeah. So I really felt like uh, all the hard work that I did last year in the preseason uh, was really working really uh, well. I got married uh, two and a half months ago as well. So I was pretty excited about that. And there were some good things happening in my life, in personal life as well. Yeah. I was pre feeling pretty relaxed and happy on the court and off the court. So yeah, being 40 is not easy to lose four or five months. And really big months when we had two Master Series coming up and the clay court yeah. season and uh, two Grand Slams, Wimbledon and French Open, uh, which I've always enjoyed playing. Wimbledon is one of my favorite surfaces and Dominic Inglots as well on the grass court yeah. season. So kind of disappointed about that. But uh, then again, uh, can't really dwell on it for too long because uh, these things are not in our hands. Absolutely. And uh, that's what I've learned actually while playing sports and through tennis as well, that we shouldn't be worrying about things that we can't control. Yeah. So what I can control right now as home is to eat properly, do whatever training I can in the best way possible and to be ready once the tour resumes, hopefully after July and yeah. uh, just try to avail this opportunity in the best way possible and uh, come out with a bang, man. And just want to be ready when this, the tour starts and see how where it takes us. And, and I have to ask, the, probably the greatest male doubles team of all time, the Bryans, said that they were gonna, they were gonna come out. This was gonna be their last year. Do they go for one more now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think nobody's gonna include this year, man, in their calendar. I think they will definitely pursue next year because I think they want to play all the slams as well. Uh, they would like to say their favorite in every slam, and I think it would be huge for tennis as well because I think they deserve a standing ovation anyway. But uh, Respect in every slam, you know. Uh, I would like to see that. If they want to say farewell, uh, the greatest team of all times, I would like to see them play every single Grand Slam okay. and uh, say their farewell uh, accordingly, you know. Yeah. So, it uh, would be very sad if they say, no, they're putting their rackets down in 2020. I have a feeling they're going to continue and play 2021 as well. Yeah, I, I hope so. And in, and in terms of that, I have to, there's something that always sticks with me with the Bryans and what they said, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. They, they always talk about how towards the end of the year they always felt like teams were catching them up and if you look at their results traditionally they've done very well in Australia very well the first six months of the year and then everyone splits up and apart from them and then it takes the first few months for the other teams to gel and come together just give us a little insight into how this doubles game works you know there seems to be more breaking up than the Desperate Housewives 
you know? Yeah, man. Uh, it's sad. And I think uh, one of the reasons, uh, as good as they are, I think a lot of the reason is also the tennis players switching teams all the time. I think uh, if you go through the history, the team that have stayed longest have had the best results also. Yeah. Uh, you take the Wood Woodies also. Uh, they're one of them. Then Bjorkman Woodbridge also. Uh, they stayed yeah. for a very long time. They did so yeah. well. Mahesh Bhupati and Leander Pace. Yeah. As long as they were together for four, five, six years, they won multiple of Grand Slams. Yeah. did so well. And uh, Bryans are another example. Then there were Nestor and uh, Knowles. They played for the longest time and they had huge success. And uh, yeah, the longer you stay, I think the more results you'll have with me as well. The partners that have stayed the longest, I had the best results with them. Yeah. I stayed with Bupana for the longest time. We had the most wins. And yeah. uh, we were a huge threat uh, to the brand as well and to the other uh, top teams as well. Then I played with Roger for more than two years, two and a half years. Yeah. And we stayed in top 10 during that time as well. So yeah. I think uh, Brian's obviously their brother. So they've been stuck in, sticking together for the longest period of time. And that's why they have the most results. And I think you get stronger as a team uh, once you get through the toughest times. Right now, I feel the players have... Uh, very less patience, man. They're not patient enough. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're switching partners, I think, too early and too quickly. And uh, I understand we have a very small span of tennis as well and the doubles as well. And they want to find the right partner the very, in the very beginning. But I think uh, they are very hard on themselves and on their partners when things are not going well. Yeah. And uh, if you stick to those tough times, uh, good times come. I didn't start winning with Rohan also in the beginning. We struggled a little bit, but we kept trusting the process and then uh, rest is history. And the same thing was with Jules. The first four months, we were terrible. We yeah. were losing everywhere and to every and from everybody. Yeah. But then one tournament, we clicked, we won the title, and then we won the 500, then we won the Masters, yeah. we qualified for London, and one thing led to another. So, yeah, but uh, once again, I think it's hats off to Brian for sticking together and uh, yeah, and uh, doing so well for the game and for themselves as well. Yeah, because I think any any meaningful relationship takes time, doesn't it? You know, it does. It does. Any relationship, and I think it, it's going to be interesting. Actually, I think how people maybe perceive tennis now when when we get back up and running. You know, we it we've never had a time where. We've had six months of just reflection. You know, obviously, yeah. people have been, you've been very busy. A lot of people have been very busy. But that ability to reflect, to have absolute gratitude on how fortunate we are to be in, involved in the greatest sport in the world and doing that for a living. I, I wonder if people do are a little bit more patient, you know, as we, as we move, move forward. I think it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the next couple of years go or whether we just fall back to being... Um, selfish and you know all the things that we have and I'd like to share a story actually from Uzbekistan I know that we spent some time together in Uzbekistan but I remember um, I remember on the last day I was leaving and I was getting a taxi back to um, Tashkent and I had probably 30 40 euros worth of Uzbeki money and I, I gave it to a little boy and this little boy's face lit up like nothing I'd ever seen. He was like, I'd made his life, I'd made his world. And then as he walked away, he, he looked back and he looked back at me as if I was going to then take it back off him. 
you know then he then I, he realized he realized that I wasn't and he sprinted off to his to his mum who was 50 meters down the road and it massively impacted me however I'm, I'm ashamed to say a week later like for the first few days I then very much lived my life in this you know gratitude way and you know this little boy was very much at the forefront of my mind and then a week later I'm complaining that my steak hasn't been well enough or you know and it and it's like it's it's so easy for us to just keep falling back into that and i like telling that story because it it brings it it brings the image back to my mind and it's and it's something that that stays quite strong with me so it'll be interesting to see everything that we've missed during this period whether we can as tennis players as tennis coaches or just as human beings in this world that we can start to really take gratitude on on everything that we do have yeah man it would be very interesting times man looking forward to it but i really believe i think our human race uh, we are very kind people to start with and i think uh, the standard of living and the standard of tennis or every other sport i think is going to going to go up i think everybody is going to start appreciating what they lost everybody is going to give even more than 100% when they're on the court and in their fields of work also and i think uh, i really feel and believe man i don't know i really hope i think the standard of living and uh, generosity and kindness towards others i think is going to improve and increase i think uh, and i really hope that as well i hope that would be the case no i hope so and talking of relationships i have to mention robert robert davis who who obviously that's one thing again i think you're you're incredibly good at is is building relationships and and meaningful relationships he's been by your side for pretty much your career you know tell, yeah, tell me about that relationship bro uh been an up and down relationship i've been with him for more than 20 years now and uh, he's just not a coach or a friend he's part of the family and yeah. i pretty much talk to him every day he's in cambodia right now but we do get to talk if not every day every second day uh he's been a huge part of my life my career also and uh helping me see the road map as well and the path and the platform that I can use as a tennis player and he helped me with my book as well he's the one who came up with the slogan stop for shy tennis yeah. and uh, he helped me with my book also and uh, with my charity and my foundation and uh, I've learned a lot of things from him and I think he has learned a lot from me as well uh, both the experience that we were sharing uh, were the first in our lives Uh, it was the first grand slam final for him as well the first 250 title for him and the 500s and all these things uh, we shared together as our first experiences and uh, it was funny uh, i started with him now that we're talking about uzbekistan is unbelievable that uh, my first ever tournament with him when we started together was in uzbekistan right, that's okay. the first time i met robert uh, my dad uh, when i was 22 23 years old there was some kind of a platform on internet uh where coaches can uh, put their resume and uh, my dad emailed some uh, coaches and robert davis uh, resume was there as well and my dad contacted robert and he had this thing that he worked with the thailand tennis federation and uh, thailand davis cup team as well and uh, my dad contacted him he's like my son is going to uzbekistan to play some futures and challengers he's from pakistan robert knew me because i played a lot of futures in uh, thailand as well at that time and he said i would love to give it a shot and uh, Let's start in Uzbekistan. I'll join him, and that's where we started in uh, Uzbekistan, in Tashkent, Samarkand, Bukhara, and uh, Andijan, uh, where I started with Robert. And the first year was so funny. Uh, the first six, seven, eight months, my ranking actually dropped, uh, then actually improving. 
and I, <laughs> and I remember my father sending a message and email to him that uh, aren't uh, isn't sounds ranking supposed to improve by hiring a coach but actually decreasing you know and going <laughs> down and uh, Robert still mentions it and I think uh, like I said and you also said mentioned now as a double square also it's about you need to get through the half times and uh, you need to trust the process and the coach and the system. Yeah. And once you pass that, then good things do happen, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I learned that from my dad as well because he's been a businessman. He knows how to work and with other play, uh, people and relationships. And yeah, we stuck through it with Robert. There was a time in between. We stopped with each other as well yeah. uh, for a year and a half in between. And then we got back together again. And uh, yeah, uh, like... Uh, Stuff for me to, yeah, would be very hard to just say thanks to him. Uh, I think uh, he needs a lot of uh, recognition also and uh, a lot more than just thanks. Uh, he's been a big part of my life uh, for sure. And how, and how important is it for tennis players, similar to what we're talking about there with doubles players, the kind of deep, meaningful relationships, how important is it for a tennis player to have someone who they really trust in their corner? Bro, big time. I think uh, it's huge. It's a very lonely sport. It can get a very lonely sport. It can be a very hard sport, brutal sport. And you need to someone to be there, someone who has the same goals, basically, and who has the same vision like you do. And yep. uh, you need these people in your life also and in your corner when you are down, when you're a little bit disappointed, when you're a little bit stressed out, uh, to have these people in your corner to keep backing you up, to keep motivating you, to help you get back on your feet again. And uh, to have that relationship with a coach or with a trainer is very, very important. You have your spouses, you have your girlfriends, you have your parents. Uh, that's a different ballgame, you know. Uh, but the coaches uh, and the trainers, uh, I think you can relate with them in a different manner than what you do with your family and your spouses and with your girlfriends. And uh, in a professional way, you need to do that. And it's very, very important, I think. As a youngsters also, uh, when you're growing up, I think it's very, very, very important yeah. for juniors when they're 14, 16, 18 to have somebody, to have a mentor, to help them uh, schedule everything and discipline them. Uh, but as a professional as well, uh, you get to see, you don't get to see things what you're doing on the court. You need to have eyes outside the court also to see what you're normally doing and your habits and your uh, things uh, that you're doing on court is very, very important. Yeah, it's a very it's a very privileged position to be in it to be a tennis coach, especially with with young minds and and the influence that we can have as a coach. You know, something yeah. I speak a lot to my team about that. You know, on on a on a scale of looking after a player over a long period of time, the influence we can have, or or at the tennis academy, even if we have if we've got somebody coming in for one week, it's their very it's their special week that they've you know they've spent their money on their their Christmas present and they're so excited to come to a, an international academy and the influence that we can have on these players is is, is massive. I want to move into it just a couple of experiences. Davis Cup's obviously been quite a um, a big part of your career, uh, start, starting off with 2005 World Group um, playoffs against Chile. That must have been an amazing experience for Pakistan and for yourself. Yeah, man. Uh, I think first time in history we qualified and uh, we had two matches uh, against the two Asian giants in Pakistan, in, against Thailand and Korea and uh, Chinese Taipei as well. In yeah. 2005, uh, the top three players from Asia were from... Uh, 
these two countries, Paradon was world number nine. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, Yung Sun Lu, who was top 50 from Taipei. Right. And we had uh, another uh, Wang, Jimmy Wang. He was top 100 yeah. at that time from Taipei. So we had these three uh, top 100 players in Asia. And uh, we had our first tie against Thailand. And we had Danai Odum Chop also, who was top 100 yeah. at that time also yeah. from Thailand. So uh, I ended up beating all four of them in singles. Wow. And uh, and I ended up beating them in doubles as well. And uh, Pakistan qualified for the first time for World Group. Chile was amazing and uh, was the most uh, crazy time, obviously, as a tennis player, as a Davis Cup team, but most scary time as well to play Chile on clay, uh, having Nicolas Masu and Fernando Gonzalez. And both of them won Olympics the year before. Uh, wow. So... I think for me, being on the tennis court in doubles probably was the most scariest time I've ever been uh, with their forehands, man. What they did to us uh, was crazy. On clay, they were so slow, the courts. But uh, the overall experience was unbelievable, man, to compete at that level. And for my teammates, who have only seen these players always on the, on the television, you know? Yeah, and yeah. to have them being there, training with them, around them, watching them play against each other. I yeah. think it was a great experience for Pakistan tennis and uh, a trip that I would never forget. I think we had a blast as a team, yeah. even though we lost uh, 5-0, which was expected, uh, yeah. especially on clay. But uh, it was a moment that I was really proud of uh, as a player also and as my Davis Cup as well. I think it was a very big time highlight for our country. And how, how different, you touched on that, on doubles, Doubles on a clay court. How different is it on clay to other surfaces? I think I won't be scared about with their forehands right now when I'm playing against them. But uh, I was only 25. And for me also to uh, play them at that level, uh, clay court was my nemesis. I didn't have that much experience when I was 25 on clay also. And uh, we don't have any red clay in Pakistan. So all my teammates also were playing on red clay for the very first time. Yeah. And to play real takeover specialists like Fernando Gonzalez and Nicolas Masu, uh, for my teammates, they felt like they are playing tennis for the very first time. Yeah. Uh, I had a little bit of experience of playing on clay, and I think the matchup I had with Fernando suited me a little bit because of his weak backhand. Yeah. So I was serving and warning, and I managed to make a reasonable match out of it. Yeah. Uh, but for, for my teammates, uh, they hardly got a game. And when we played doubles against them, uh, that was brutal, man. Uh, I just didn't want to be on the court, especially at the net. These yeah. guys were taking their their swings at us, and uh, I didn't know where the forehands were going. Short yeah. angles, lobs at us, body. I think I got hit two, three times as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, was a big-time beating. I think my worst beating in my tennis career, for sure, that doubles match I played against them, Fernando Gulalis and Masu with Akil Khan, uh, was brutal. I, I would, I mean, I... Again, I, I don't even like talking about myself in the same breath as, as all of you guys and what you've achieved. But I remember playing a challenger in Barcelona and it's the only time I ever did it. I actually signed in for partner wanted. And I thought, okay. Do you know what? I, I'm not even practicing on clay. It was just before the grass court season, but I'd love to go to Barcelona. Um, and, and I signed up and um, Tamura's Gabashvili signed up with okay. me. And He had it before him, man. So I, so I turn up to, to Barcelona and we're playing top seeds, Andre Saar and Levinsky, who were both top 50, I think, at the time. And we're like, we lose the first set and I'm all at sea because 
Gabashvili, as good as he was, he was the first time I'd ever played with a guy who didn't serve and volley. Because back in that day, that was probably 2004, yeah. everybody served volleyed, but he didn't. And then he just, it was unbelievable what he did to them too. He basically beat them on his own. He was like winner after winner after, and I knocked a few volleys off. So then we had the night match against um, Fernando Vicente and Oscar Hernandez who again were both top 100 singles players. Yeah. And exactly what you're saying, it was basically those three at the back and me stood at the net like a complete fish out of water. Balls are like going over me, around me, at me. We couldn't, I couldn't find their backhand for the life of me. Like I just couldn't, I, I feel like they didn't have a backhand. And it was yeah. again, like I wanted, I wanted the world to just swallow me up in that moment. It, there's yeah. nothing worse on a clear court than, than having that done to you. Very, you know, very difficult. And then, and, and then from Davis Cup, I guess, where I'd like to move to now, Sam, is obviously you've had this amazing tennis career. You're still having this amazing tennis career. We've, we touched on it at the very start, obviously, what you're doing right now, which is, which is amazing. But you've got so many things that you've used from your platform. I, I do want to touch on the India Davis Cup tie earlier this year. Um, and, yeah, just to hear your thoughts on that. I know that you, you made a stance not to play the tie, which I, fu I certainly fully respect. Can you tell our listeners about that? Bro, first of all, Davis Cup has always been very, very important to me. Uh, one of the reasons also is being, I think, it's a huge and unbelievable platform for Pakistan to promote tennis in Pakistan. Yeah. That's the only time we actually get international players coming to Pakistan and playing the sport. And uh, I think the best way to promote the sport also is to compete against international players and having Pakistani public see us compete against these players. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we did have uh, some terrorist activities. Uh, back in the day, five years ago, and we had a ban in Pakistan and on Pakistan for 10 years, 12 years, where we could not host any Davis Cup ties in yeah. Pakistan, uh, which I think uh, has played a big part in uh, taking the tennis standard down in Pakistan and other sports as well. But uh, by the grace of Allah and a lot of operation from our Pakistan government and the Rangers and Pakistan Army, uh, I can very easily and very confidently say that uh, the terrorist activities have been taken care of now in Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, we are a very peaceful nation once again, and yeah. international sports has revived again. We have international cricket being played. We have international tennis matches as well. ITF has approved uh, to conduct Davis Cup matches back in Pakistan. Uh, last year, we had Korea, Thailand, and Uzbekistan uh, that came to Pakistan. The year before that, we had uh, Iran coming to Pakistan as well. And um, this year, uh, last year, India was supposed to come and play in Pakistan, which I was super, super excited about. I think it would have given unbelievable boost to tennis in Pakistan and in the region also, and I think all over the world as well. And uh, I was really looking forward to it, was very excited because uh, 10 years back uh, when we went to India in Mumbai to play the Davis Cup tie, uh, I had a great experience playing in India and uh, had an overwhelming uh, experience. Everybody was so welcoming in India and we had a great experience. And I just wanted to give that back to the Indian players and to the Indian team uh, yeah. to give us uh, opportunity to receive them, uh, to show them our hospitality. Our Prime Minister Man Khan had hosted a dinner for our Indian team as well. So we were just looking forward to it. But uh, for some odd reason, the Indian government in the Tennis Federation decided uh, not to come to Pakistan and they appealed the ITF that uh, Pakistan is not safe for Indians to come and compete. 
yeah. which uh, for me, I don't want to use the word. It's going to get censored in your podcast. But uh, I think uh, was crap. And uh, we have all the security measures and everything would have been fine. And we could, could have played in a very friendly manner this tie in the uh, best way possible. And yeah. it would have helped a long way in uh, spreading the message of peace to these countries and to all the world as well. Yeah. But once uh, they decided not to do that, an IDF, I think, made a, for me, in my eyes, it's a very wrong decision to host this tie in Kazakhstan. I thought that it's the right time for me to boycott it and to take a stand. And uh, I boycotted from it and then all my teammates boycotted from it as well. Yeah. And uh, they backed me. Uh, my federation wanted to do the same, but I think they would have been, been heavily fined from the ITF, uh, which they couldn't afford. So they sent an under-16 uh, youth cup team to play the Davis Cup tie in Kazakhstan against India. Uh, to basically, yeah, send a message to ITF that what they did was wrong, yeah. which I think uh, went a long way because this year Slovenia also appealed to ITF that yeah. they don't want to come to Pakistan, but ITF refused it. And then Slovenia did come to Pakistan and uh, we ended up creating history by beating the first European team that came to Pakistan. And uh, they were much, much higher ranked than us. Yeah. And we were the dark horses, but uh, we managed to create an upset and I'm super proud of that. Amazing. And, and standing, standing up for what you believe, you know, I think we all, we all want to do that. And, you know, it's obviously very prominent in the world right now as well, with what's going on in the USA and what's going on in, in many different places. When did you build the confidence to stand up for what you believe? Is that something you've always had? Or do you think as your profile is growing, it's been, it's been easier to do that? Bro, a lot has to do with tennis, man. I think uh, all, most of these lessons I've learned from tennis by among you guys, with you guys. Uh, I think I've spent most of my time in England uh, with British people, with British players uh, in the Western world. And uh, tennis and you guys have never, like I said, uh, never had any kind of discrimination towards me. Whether yeah. I was in Malaysia with you guys, whether I was in uh, Uzbekistan with you guys, yeah. I remember hanging out with you, going for dinners with you guys, having lunches. And uh, there was never one incident where I felt that there was any kind of discrimination because the country where I belong from or the religion I follow yeah. or the culture I have. And you guys could have easily done that against me as well. But n none of that, those things happened with me or experiences. Yeah. And I think uh, tennis taught me that. I think... Uh, I really, really believe if all of us human beings uh, on this uh, Mother Earth are associated with any kind of sport, this world would be a better place. Yeah. I think sports teaches us that uh, about friendship, about humanity. We treat each other as human beings. Yeah. I've never treated you in a way that, oh, he's from Britain, he would be acting like this and I should behave with him like this, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I interact with you on a human level and yeah. I treat you as a human being. And, yeah. uh, and the most important things are being kind, being friendly and being loving towards each other. Yeah. And uh, I think tennis has taught me that in a big way. Yeah. Uh, people are illiterate. Uh, people are, I feel, uneducated a little bit. When I play with Amir Haddad, uh, my sports ministry, my tennis federation, my government banned me from playing tennis in Pakistan. Wow. And for me, I think they were, uh, I would say they were not literate enough. Yeah, and yeah. they didn't have those experiences and yeah. all they they see are from books and videos and all these kind of things yeah. but i think sports traveling tennis players tennis uh, helped me 
look at uh, that, that side and that's what uh, intrigued me uh, to play with Amir without any hesitation. That what made me believe that I can play with Rohan also being an Indian and a Hindu. And uh, that what really helped me during this time as well while I took a stand against India because I really felt that they were wrong and it's an act of discrimination towards Pakistan. And uh, when things are, when things were bad at home in Pakistan, I never discussed it with ITF to grant us and help us play tennis in Pakistan. But yeah. the situation was not good. And I totally understood that. But when things were okay, when everything was secure, we were giving all the security my years and everything, then uh, I don't think any country or any team has an, uh, should oppose not to come to Pakistan. No, no you, you, put, you put it so well, Assam. I, I actually remember having, <clears throat> I think it was in Segovia. It was in a challenge <coughs> in Segovia. And I don't think it was long after 9-11 had happened. And, and I remember having lunch with yourself. And there was also a tennis player from Iran, but I don't, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. But I remember we, we sat down, as we do. I mean, tennis is the language, and that's, you yeah. know, what we, that's just what we do. That's, what, that's the way we've always lived. And I remember going home and speaking and, 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 and there was so much going on in the world at that time. And I had a reflection and I said, well, actually, I've sat there with a good friend from Pakistan, a good friend from Iran, and we're all speaking the same language. We're all exa exactly, you put it so, so beautifully. Um, and, and also what I liked about it as well, I remember we had a bit of a political chat and, and I remember yeah. thinking, it's really nice to also understand how other people are thinking and how other cultures are thinking about the world. And, yeah. and I think tennis, tennis does give us that because people that don't travel and people that don't spend time with, with people from other nationalities, they, they just tend to think in their bubble and they, yeah. and they don't have this kind of expanded mind of looking into it. And, and you've touched on it there with, with Amir Haddad. So for those listening, Amir Haddad is an Israeli, Israeli tennis player. Rohan Bapana is a, an Indian tennis player. I know you that you just played with them because they were the best doubles partner for you. <laughs> it's just another human yeah. being. Did you, did you, was that when you realized as well that actually you are, aren't just going to go along this just playing tennis journey, but you are going to get pulled into some political, some political points of view? Well, personally, my own way, I never thought that. Uh, that yeah. was never my intention. But then, uh, you know, tennis, like I said, uh, I ended up working with some great organizations. Peace yeah. and Sports came forward, UN came forward, UNICEF came forward, and WWF. And all these organizations made me understand and see the bigger picture that yeah. I'm not just a tennis player, but I can use tennis as a platform yeah. to, to do a lot of good in people's lives and can impact other people's lives also. Yeah. I never thought myself like that. And uh, I would never thought also that I was in that position. But these uh, foundation, these organizations made me see the bigger picture and yeah. the impact I can make with Amir, I can make with Rohan, I can make with myself. Yeah. And, uh, and all I can thank is tennis for that and all the experiences and the life that it has given me. Uh, because without this tennis and without this sport, I would not have been able to work with all these great organizations and uh, who helped me see the bigger picture. And, uh, and that's obviously puts a little bit more responsibility in me as well. And in these tough times, like during coronavirus and all these things, I think all the things that I've learned from them has helped me yeah. to see this path as well. And instead of just sitting at home and uh, trying to see when this coronavirus pandemic is going to be over, 
I, uh, I feel like I'm in a position to make a difference in some people's lives and that's what I'm trying to do in the best way I can. Amazing. And, and, and what, just touch, touch on, give us some examples of, I know you're ambassadors in, in a few different places and positions. Can you give us a few examples of, of the people that you work with? Uh, I'm a Goodwill Ambassador for Peace and Sports. It's an organization that promotes peace through sports. Uh, it's run by uh, Prince Henry of Monaco. And uh, the first time I became a Goodwin Ambassador of Peace and Sports was in 2010 after playing uh, with Rohan Bupana. Yeah. And very proud that I'm the first tennis player uh, that became a uh, Goodwin Ambassador for Peace and Sports. And after that, they had Justin Hennen and Ardan also, and they got Djokovic on board as well. Yeah. Uh, so super proud of that. And then I uh, was a Goodwin Ambassador uh, for UN as well in Pakistan uh, for three years, uh, four years. And after that, Goodwin Ambassador for UNICEF and uh, Goodwin Ambassador for WWF as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, where I look for, obviously, uh, try to do a lot of things for nature and in Pakistan and um, try to aware, create awareness in Pakistan also uh, about how important it is to save our mother planet and to treat it as home as well. And yeah. uh, things like that and do a different projects with uh, other organizations as well. And now I'm part of uh, collaborating with RISC for the last two months, trying to uh, make a hunger-free Pakistan, trying to distribute ration bags among the needy and the poor. And like I told you earlier, uh, so far we have been able to distribute 15,000 ration bags among 15,000 families. And uh, more than, uh, yeah, I think uh, if you multiply it by five, uh, that amount of people, uh, we've been able to provide food to them for a month and uh, and with another lockdown coming up, I think, which is going to happen in 10 or two weeks time, uh, yep. we're going to make sure that all the families that have been registered, we're going to help them uh, give another month of ration uh, during the uh, next lockdown as well. And, and tell us a little bit about Stop War, Start Tennis. Stop for our tennis, uh, thanks to Robert Davis. Uh, we both started five years ago, uh, basically uh, trying to follow the footsteps of Roger Federer, Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, yeah. Rafael Nadal. All of them had their big foundations and charities that they tried to uh, work all over the world. I started this foundation to basically uh, help the people who have been affected by wars and natural disasters. I provide them specific tennis wheelchairs and tennis equipment. I contact their federations. I ask them how many players they have who need wheelchairs, specific tennis wheelchairs. And uh, the numbers, then I contact ITF because ITF uh, uh, manufactures these specific wheelchairs. And then ITF sends these wheelchairs to these federations and I send them the tennis equipment with rackets and balls. And uh, so far I've... uh, done five projects in the past five years in Rwanda, Uganda, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, and Afghanistan. And I've been to Rwanda, Uganda, Sri Lanka, and Cambodia myself as well to meet these players, to play with them. And uh, like you said, it's just a small act of kindness, man. That one smile that you get, uh, that smile that you got from that child in Uzbekistan, you will will remember it uh, even when you turn 50, 60, 70 years old, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's the reason I'm still doing it and try to influence and uh, change people's lives in one way or the other. And uh, hopefully with this uh, do a, this project in Pakistan also and after that also I can uh, make Stop Force Tennis a little bit bigger 
uh, we can hopefully I can impact more people's lives as well in the future. Sam, you're amazing, man. Honestly, what an inspiration. I when I was researching, I mean, I, I follow you very closely anyway. But when I was researching the different um, charities and the different awards, and you know, you're incredibly decorated, deservedly so. I came across in 2011. Sam was awarded the Lux Style Award for being the most stylish sports person. And so, I mean, not, not only are you giving back to these charities, you're also a style icon, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't really can't comment on that, man. Danny, I don't know. You know me, you've seen me. I just like to dress to the occasion, man. And that's about it. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. Popularity does that. I think uh, people just started seeing me uh, in pretty much all magazines and uh, uh, commercials and stuff in Pakistan. And I think uh, I kind of became the face of tennis in Pakistan after 2010 of US Open. Yeah. And I think the popularity has to do a lot with it as well. And uh, I don't really consider myself so fashionable. I just like to dress to the occasion. And uh, that's about it. And uh, yeah, something I won't say I'm really proud of. But something uh, I can smile about and laugh about uh, <laughs> with my friends and stuff. And how does and, and how is that then? So I mean, in 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 Pakistan, can you walk down the streets without being recognized, or is it you're recognized pretty much any? No, nowadays very easily, man. I have my mask around all the time, so yeah, nobody yeah. can really recognize me. So it's very easy. I yeah. got my mask, I got my shades, and uh, nobody recognized me at all. But uh, it's good, man. But like I said, everybody recognized me and everybody recognized me as a tennis player. That's more important. Yeah, and especially uh, a lot of people who don't know me, my face, at least when you say Asam Ulhaq, the tennis player, they all know me, you know? Yeah. And um, I feel really blessed and I feel really lucky. And uh, that ambition and the goal I had to be recognized as a tennis player uh, in my country, I've been able to achieve that. And uh, yeah, and I, now the next mission is to promote this game. Uh, in a bigger way and I'm coming up hopefully I'm gonna now that the tour has been uh, postponed for another two months I'm planning on uh, starting a talent hunt program uh, in a month's time uh, yeah. where I'm gonna go to a few bigger cities of Pakistan try to hunt some talent and gather a sponsor to sponsor this kid uh, yeah. to train uh, to help them train for a year uh, free of cost yeah. and see the best kids uh, whoever will uh, qualify after a year will help them travel for a month to play international tournaments under 14 and 18 and uh, hopefully help them get scholarship in America as well. So that's the road plan and the map right now is a pilot project. I'm going to do with 12 players to begin with and hopefully it does well and then I'm going to try to help other Pakistanis and uh, promote this game in Pakistan as well and boost it uh, in that manner. Amazing, Hassan. Um I'm going to be I'm conscious of your time. We've got a couple more minutes before I know you're off to, off to do what you, you've been doing the last, the last few months. Um, I want to finish with a, just a quick fire round, a little bit of a, a lighter quick fire round. Um, you've got to answer straight away. No thinking. Okay. Davis Cup or Grand Slam? Whew. Grand Slam. Serve or return? Sir, man, any day, every day. I know the answer to that. <laughs> I know the answer to the next one as well. Grass or clay? <laughs> Grass. Uh, player or coach? Player, man, player. Roger or Rafa? 
Roger, man. Yeah. As much as I love Rafa, Roger. Snow or sand? Snow. Sudden death or ad scoring? Ad scoring, man. I'm an ad scorer. Old school. Full third or tiebreak third? Full third or tiebreak. Tiebreak, man. I'm 40 years old now. Got to go for third. Save the body. Singles ranking or doubles ranking? Yeah, I have to. Now I'm a double specialist. I got to go for doubles. Uh, 40 or 30? 40 is the new 30. So 40 is fine, man. I feel like 30. So I'm good at where I am right now. 40 is a break point as well. Um, and one one rule that you would change in tennis if you could. One rule that I could change in tennis right now. Uh, for me, the time, man. I think the time is too short in between points. I think it's not fair for the players that sweat bullets like me. And uh, and I think, especially for doubles, I think uh, for singles, I understand. You can't have the same time for doubles player. You're making two players get ready in the time of a singles player. Yeah. So for me, for two players to be ready in the same time, you should at least add five more seconds to it. If it's a double, then you wanting two players to be ready to play the point in between points, you know? So I think you can't have the same amount of time in between points for a single player and then the same amount of time for four players to be ready in the same time. I think that's not fair. At least... They should increase it by five more seconds. That would be huge. Yeah, I'm not arguing it. I'm going. I'm going with it. Uh, Sam, a massive, massive thank you from myself from Control the Coronables to have to have you on not once but twice. You know, for you to give up your time on on two different occasions to share the rich learnings, the the humility, the the way that you've gone through your tennis career and now you're using it for for a greater good. Is a massive inspiration to myself and I know it will be to everyone listening. So a big, big thank you. No, man, thanks to you. And I told you, always available for my friends. And uh, again, in the end, big thanks to you, to John and to Soto Tennis, man, uh, for being supportive. And uh, obviously, uh, your support is going to go a long way to have a lot of Pakistanis here, families in Pakistan. That's great to hear. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, buddy. A big thank you to Assam for that, for his time. As we mentioned in the podcast, that was the second time that we'd spoken uh, during the last few weeks. Uh, He does it with a smile on his face. He's an extremely busy man, training, preparing for the big events coming up on the ATP Tour, but also in doing what he's doing to, to help his country in every possible way. So a big shout out to Sam. Thank you for that. To those that are listening and continue to listen, another big thank you to you guys for the support. We are starting to get rated and reviewed by you um, on the iTunes app. It's dead easy to do. Take you 30 seconds. And what this then does is this allows for these amazing athletes and coaches and different people in our sport to be able to share their knowledge far and wide. So please spend a few minutes doing, or a couple of minutes doing that. um, And we'll look forward to seeing you guys next time. My name's Dan Kiernan. My co-host, John McGann. We are Control the Controllables.